It's a big day for the life of church of the of the Hamlin Church. Today kind of marks the launching into the Growing for Our Future campaign, which is the building of a children's wing just to this side of our current building. Tonight, as we gather at the Round Barn at 6 o'clock, we're going to be able to have a, a night. It's just going to be a, a great night as we meet at 6 o'clock. I'm going to share with you the vision of what we're trying to do. We're going to hear, I can't wait to tell you about the radical sacrifice that has already been made by 20 of the ministry leaders of our church and their family. It's kind of staggering to, to know that just 20 folks took that big of a step of faith, and I can't wait to tell that to you tonight. We're going to look at more of the details of the children's space, what it looks like, and, and then our, our focus is on growing godly children. It's going to be a night of worship. It's going to be a night. There will be a, a dinner, a, a banquet there for us to be a part of. It's going to be a night of faith for all of us to be able to, to determine, like Angie just said, to what is it the Lord wants us to give, and that, that may be a little uncomfortable, but I think what we're going to look at today, the Lord will answer that for you. Our children currently, our, for some of us our grandchildren and for some of us our great-great-grandchildren are living in a, a culture that is no longer Christian-based as the majority of our nation. They call it, uh, they've given it a name of post-Christian culture. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Basically, it means that Christianity is no longer the foundation of most families of most uh, education systems, of most governmental systems. Christianity is no longer that foundational base. If you're my age or older or a little younger, you might remember <clears throat> that it has transitioned that rapidly, that much of what we did as younger people had in our schools, we had a foundation of scriptural truth. Our government, was we believed, was built upon the foundations of scripture, but now we're in a place where there is no God in our school, there is no God in many of our homes, there is no God in uh, understanding of life where it comes from, so it basically jumps over to an evolutionary concept, no God, just biological change brought us to this place. They will not know American history of the founding fathers and how they intended for this nation to be a nation that was built upon scriptural truth, the, the laws of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, they, won't, they no longer are able to hear that. And so it begins to be an ungodly or a godless culture in our mindset. They will not know of American wars and the purposes of those wars. Many of them are now hearing uh, that it was just a... Uh, a nation wanting to build itself or to, to nation build. And, and they did not understand the motivations behind why so many women and men gave their life in order to make this America free. They're not going to know that. They will be taught that the new normal for family life is now husband with husband, wife with wife, transgender with transgender. That's being taught. That has to be taught by law because of uh, where we have come, with, which is post Christian generation. Unless something drastically changes, we're going to see a wave of, of a wave that you see on the horizon now of a political movement. Democratic socialism is now gaining popularity across the land. 
It's basically a Robin Hood type of syndrome that we deserve, we own, or uh, that there are rich people that we need to take from in order to make it better for the, of us that don't have enough that we want. And without true history being taught or that foundation removed, uh, I, I see that wave probably continuing. I'm not saying these things to depress you this morning, although I do find them a bit depressing. I'm not here to do that because I want you to know that the scripture has a promise. It was given way back by the prophet Isaiah that there was a promise given. And I'd like to remind you what he said in Isaiah 59, 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord. And when you know uh, the capital L-O-R-D in your scripture actually means Yahweh, the name of God. Just the, the Hebrews felt like that name was so holy that you did not ever speak it, write it, pronounce it. So they, whenever Yahweh would come up, they would put the word Lord. So I'm going to change it. So they shall fear the name of Yahweh from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun. <clears throat> when the enemy, watch this, shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord or God will or Yahweh will lift up a standard against him. I have some very strong beliefs <clears throat> that I want to share with you. And it has to do with my heart and my vision and what I feel like God's call is upon this church family. <clears throat> I believe that Yahweh, that same Yahweh that Isaiah talked about, is, going to, is still going to fulfill this prophecy. In our day, there's a real good chance it's in our day. I have a sense that we are on the cusp of this happening. That God is going to raise up the true church in a day of growing darkness. That's the promise of Isaiah. He's going to raise up a standard of light and of truth in a day when darkness is coming in like a flood. I believe this same Yahweh that moved upon the hearts of this people in this room to make the faith step to move to this piece of property to build this building, I believe the same Yahweh God was upon the hearts of those people because not only just to move us here but to get us into neighborhood, 12 neighborhoods nearby that do not, that are in this post-Christian environment that we are sent here to be a light in these neighborhoods. Not to just come here and do church but to be sent out into the fields. I believe that as a church, hear this because this is going to be where you're going to catch my passion on what this building has to do with. I believe it will be our job to raise up young families and to train up children to begin to develop a biblical worldview or begin to see through the eyes of faith, truth, and scripture uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ. They're not being taught it in many of the homes. They're not being taught it anywhere else. That's why this day begins to be so important for our nation. Not just this church, but I'm praying across the nation. And I believe there is an awakening coming. I think the darkness that we see on our television news and entertainment is, is telling us that darkness is here and it's, and it's covering the land. <clears throat> but the standard has to be raised. And I believe that the church is the place to do that. I believe that if we are to look carefully at each of the children the Lord brings into our ministry, whether it's one, two, or three hours a week, 
And we're also to help our, t- our parents know this as well, that each child is fearfully and wonderfully made. That means God's design is imprinted in each child. It is these teachers, and this room is full of teachers. Many of them are still investing every week in the life of our children. I'm challenging you now even to a higher level, not just to be faithful there, which is huge. That in our day, that's a big deal in itself. But to go in there with your soul on fire for God. Because they're going to learn as much about your passion as they are about the truth of the word. And I want them to be on fire children. And when you see them, you're going to see the gifting of God in them. Call it out of them. When you see it, name it. When you see it, start developing it. This is moms and dads and teachers and all. Because I believe that's coming out of this as the... We end, get closer to the end of the time that the Lord is going to call out a new wave of powerful men and women. Out of this children's ministry, I believe we'll see pastors, business women and men. There's going to be teachers. There's going to be uh, doctors, nurses. There's going to be prophets, teachers, evangelists, apostles that are going to be coming out. And we're going to call out from these young people early in life. When we see it, we're going to start raising him up to this stronger thing than just nominal church-attending Christianity. We'd like to raise them to be warriors, full of the Spirit and full of truth. Amen? Is anybody in on that? Because it takes a commitment to do it if we're going to do it. It's going to be up to us to teach God's plan of gender. We're going to have to begin to say, this is male. God created a man. And, it's, and men are, are gifted and powerful and strong and leaders. We fight battles like we're built to be warriors. Then there are women. Women are there as nurturers, trainers, educators, uh, equippers, fulfillers. Uh, men couldn't function without that, that gifting of that wife and woman with them. But I'm telling you, we need to teach that it's different and it's okay to be different. And men are not going to become women. And we don't want women to become men. We want men to be men. We want women to be women and marry and have families and raise godly children who can stand the test of this darkness that's come upon this life. Amen? All right. We're going to try to teach them. We need to let them know that sex is between a man and a woman after the covenant of marriage. And we need to teach them that that's normal. I don't care what they hear. I don't care what they see. God's normal is this. And if you walk in God's normal, you'll be blessed and protected. And let me guarantee you to save you a lot of hellish life ahead if you'll follow him. In the midst of the darkness, we're going to begin to hear a song. For us older folks, it's going to sound something more like this. When you know it, sing with me. We have heard... The joyful sound, sing it. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell the sinners far and wide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the plain. Onward is our Lord's command. Here's the message. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, amen. 
We're going to keep singing it, okay? That's the same, that is the message that Jesus saves lives. It may sound a little different, and I want you to hear it like this.
the words are the same. Jesus saves. That is the message we're going to shout. I said, we've seen the darkness. We've been telling about it for many years, but now the darkness has come upon our nation. It's now our investment, our sacrifice, our time, our energy, I believe is the same message you call me here to be a part of, is to reach out into these neighborhoods that are now post-Christian, most of them, and to get into their homes. Uh, we have some men and women and deacons who in the, the Lord has stirred up in the last month, and they're going to be neighborhood evangelists. They're going to be, matter of fact, next Sunday right at the end of this service, if you want to be one of those, I want to show you a, a, how we're going to do it a process that we're going to do to get you into a neighborhood where you will be uh, in that neighborhood on a weekly basis to pray and just to be there to represent the Lord. And to, uh, just we're going to show you how to do that. It's going to be a very effective. We'll do that right at the end of the service next week. I'm just telling you guys, it's time that we begin to war in our spirit. If, we're if we have a complacency, I'll just tell you now, I'm praying for a huge disturbance of the Lord. A disturbance that begins to trouble us out of complacency to where we figure it out. This is not all just about me. It's about him and I need to be about the master's business. I need to be in the field. I'm telling you now, the theme of, the, of 2019, actually let's just start it now. The Lord gave it to me is that in the harvest, that's where we are to be as a church family. I'm praying a strong prayer movement begins to hit our church where there is almost agonizing prayer going on, asking the Lord for a, a new move of His Spirit. I'm praying for the anointing of the Spirit upon us for evangelism, to take the message out, to remove our fears. We're going to ask God just to move in a powerful way. I believe He is, and I believe we're at the beginning of it. I just want to be in on it. This new building we're talking about is not the end of what we're doing. It is a tool toward what we're trying to do. A tool to be able to house the kids that will be coming in with these young families. Can I tell you the dream I have for our children? This is from little ones up through high school, college. I pray that in this ministry over here, these teachers are laying out the word of God. This is what God's word said. This is the story of scripture. I want all that laid out strong and a clear foundation. But I'm also wanting those teachers to begin to train into these children an unshakable faith that it is not a God of who he was, but it is a God of who he is. And that even in those rooms back in there, they'll have worship. It'll be fun. It'll be dancing and singing. But I want it to become something that begins to flow from their bellies out a heartfelt God cry of worship. I would love to see these children in that mindset be the ones who are anointed of the Lord to lay hands on those that are sick and for God to, we believe that God will heal and restore. In the previous church, that kind of began to wave happen in, our, in that ministry. And we would have uh, times of worship and God would break into the midst of it well, the first thing that I say is go get the kids. And the kids will come out and they start going all over the altars and they're laying hands on people, asking God. You know why I want them to do that? They're not distorted in their faith. You know, as adults, we get a little bent out of, because of life. 
They haven't been bent like that yet. Their faith is pure. But just to see these kids moving around adults, putting their hands on them and asking God for healing, that's my dream. Can I tell you? It's my dream. And I believe they'll be okay if we disrupt their plan to bring them in here to pray with us. But I don't want it just for kids. I want it for us. That we begin to have a faith in God that it's not about who he was, but who he is. And he's still currently doing it. Courageous faith and uncontainable love. It's kind of a, the concept here of relay race. It's our leg of the race. We've, we got it handed to us by some of your parents and your grandparents and great-grandparents because this church, 125 years, they ran in front of us and they handed the baton to us. Now is our time. This is us. We're running the race. My prayer for us and for, and I, for the church family and for me is that we run fully to the end to the handoff so that when we hand it off, It'll be full of spirit and truth and anointing and power and the passion of God is evident every time we meet. Are you okay? Is this where you want to be? I want, I don't want to, I'm not really impressed with church as it normally is. I want to see God move through willing people that believe him. Even if our experience says, I don't know if I believe it. God's word says it, so we have this willful position. God's word is true, my, even if my eyes are lying. God's truth. And we're going to stand and believe and function and act like that. And we'll send politicians out of this church body with that foundation to go to positions to take the truth of Christ into our government. We need it. We need it bad. All right, enough of my ranting. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 9, and this is going to be short, but I want to give you a few points. Because our part of running the race has to do with what I want to, that Paul is teaching us about here in 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. Because you know, building that building, it's a $1.2 million building. And you're going to be really encouraged tonight when uh, I share with you what just 20 leaders have already said. We'll, we want to be a part of that. But here's what Paul says. Remember this, starting in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Look at God's accounting process here. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. A few points that I want to just, I'm not going to preach on them long. I just want to give them to you. Kind of give a direction for this thing that we're doing about sacrificial giving. First of all, 
There's the principle, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. It's a natural principle as well. You take one seed of corn, plant it in the ground. If that goes well, it'll grow a stalk. And on that stalk, you can have one or two ears of corn. Let's say each ear had 50 pieces of corn. That's a hundredfold. And we know that spiritually, Jesus said that when you give or plant a seed in the spirit realm, that it always comes back 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's just a promise. So if we plant one seed, we're going to harvest two ears of corn. Or if you plant a thousand seed, you're going to get a hundred thousand seeds in harvest. Based if you have the hundredfold. This is the principle of kingdom, of God's kingdom. We're born and raised and struggle to survive in an earthly kingdom. And I know what it takes. Just wears you out a lot of times. But I'm telling you about a principle that is above this world kingdom is that, that Paul is revealing to us. If you plant little, you're going to receive a harvest, but that's not as much as you could. The next thing, verse number two, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's that if you planted a thousand seed instead of one. This is number three, and it's very important. Give, giving must be without coercion to be joyful and to be joyful. Meaning, we're not going to visit you. We're not going to twist your arms. We're not sending somebody to your home. We're not doing anything. We're just going to say, this is what we believe is before us, and the need will be this. And we, all we've said is, you ask God. God will tell you what you need to give. And I'm just saying, trust him in that. And give it. If you can't, here's, here's the rule. If you don't want to give, please don't. It's not a good thing to say in a fundraising campaign. But if you don't want to give, don't. You're not going to upset any of us. Because it says that the Lord wants it to be done cheerfully and without any coercion. So we're not going to do it. You just trust the Lord what he wants you to do. And number four, God loves it when, when we give bountifully and cheerfully. Look at verses 8 and 10. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that, that you always having all sufficiency. Do you hear what he's saying? If we choose to walk in faith, God is going to make you abound and have all sufficiency in all things. You may even, you will have even abundance for every good work. Now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed. Seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So this is not just a financial thing. There's a righteousness that grows while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. If we believe this, if we believe that principle, I would say I challenge you to go and figure out how much can we trust the Lord and step out in faith and watch what he's going to do with that. Number five, God makes grace abound toward you in your giving so that you will have an abundance for every good work. Vicki and I have that testimony. I told you when we did that building in Mount Vernon, we had four or five kids at the time working on, I don't remember what we were paid, $25,000 probably dollars a year. <clears throat> and the Lord told us 3000 And that doesn't sound like much. I get it. But for us, it was like, oh, my word. That was one of the biggest steps of gulping faith I'd ever taken to do that. And during that season, I can't tell you how, but he, God did every one of these things. 
never lacked. We, matter of fact, abounded in, in blessing during that season. Number six, it is God who supplies money for the investing and will multiply the money you have invested. It says he's given it to you, plant it in his field. And then number seven, because of your investing, God will enrich you in every part of your life. Those are the principles that we're going to be functioning off of. We're going to trust God with it, and it's going to be exciting to see, and we can't wait to see what God's going to do in the life of this church. I hope more than anything you heard the burden passion on my heart for children's ministry and student ministry. I don't want to just do good Sunday school for kids. I want it to be an, I want it to be an experiment over there where the fire of God gets so hot on these kids' lives that they know what it is to walk in the spirit full of truth and cannot just build warriors from the early days. That's my prayer, and I pray it gets caught because it's already happening. These are the hearts of our teachers. Vicki, come on up. We, I don't know if you noticed a while ago, in, toward the next to the last song, there was a pause. I almost thought the kingdom was going to blow up in here. I can't even tell you. I just went, oh, my goodness. And there's some, the Spirit of the Lord was just like mighty upon that silent place for a moment. <clears throat> I don't know what God's going to do today, but I know that you're here not by accident. You're here by the, the call of God, the hand of God. And the same God that we read about from Isaiah some 800 years prior to Jesus, that's getting close to 3,000 years ago, is the same God that is here today. And some of you, or when you heard that passion, my passion for what, what a church is to be and to produce and build, some of you said, I don't have that. I don't know the Lord like that. But you'd like to. During this invitation, I'd love to have you come and say, just, I need to meet this God that you told us about. I need, you to, I need to meet this Jesus who paid it all. Some are the Spirit of the Lord stirring in you, and you still haven't heard His voice. Just ask Him. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do in regard to that building? He may say, nothing. Or He may say, this amount, and you're going to say, Lord, how is that possible? He said, trust me in what, what I showed you. Remember, if you can't give it joyfully, don't give it. I'm going to say it again. If you can't give it joyfully, don't give a dollar. But if the Spirit of the Lord says invest, 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 listen and obey. I don't know. I think the Lord needs to do some things in here today. The Spirit is strong. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. The altars will be open. People will be here to pray with you.